what our special sauce is a little bit at Swell is when you sign up for Swell, it's one account. You get everything. And if you want to put $1,000 into Swell Compound, it's literally going to be a click of a button. So it's, it's dead simple. And to a certain degree, our customer doesn't want to read a 150-page you know, offering memorandum. They just want to know that they're investing alongside the big boys. And so I'll give you an example. So the first deal that we've kind of lined up is with a, a multifamily operator who, who you would know in your neck of the woods, who has just an incredible track record. They're putting together something new that requires a $500,000 minimum investment. That's the deal we have in mind as our first one to, to go for, for Swell Compound. And it's perfect in a number of ways. I'm super excited about it. But it's just a great example of something like your average American or even your above average, I mean, your high earner, that they couldn't get into something like this for a whole bunch of reasons. One, they wouldn't know about it or have the connections. Two, they may not be accredited. Three, who has half a million dollars sitting around to just like, you know, throw into one investment? Hey guys, welcome back to the Fort Podcast. My name is Chris Powers and I wanna thank you for joining me today. This show is an open-ended discussion and journey covering real estate, business, entrepreneurship, and investing. I would love to hear from you by tweeting me at Fort Worth Chris on Twitter. And if you've enjoyed this show, I would be super grateful if you would follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or whatever platform you listen to. And if on Apple, it would mean a lot if you'd leave a rating and review. Last but not least, you can find all these episodes on YouTube. Thank you so much again for joining me and enjoy the show. We're sitting down um, for the third. And the truth of the matter is this this is a guest that folks have heard. Kevin's become a great friend of mine and somebody that I actually could see myself doing lots of episodes with because we share. Um, we'll find out today we're, we're actually going to start working together in some capacity. We kind of look at the world similarly, but different. We're able to kind of challenge each other. And we just have a lot of really interesting conversations. And so it's really easy for me to want to have Kevin back on and just kind of chat kind of these updates as we as we kind of move through life. So, Kevin, welcome back. Thank you. Uh, my goal, Chris, is to become the Alec Baldwin of the Fort podcast. You know, <laughs> Alec Baldwin, I think, has the record for being on Saturday Night Live the most times. <laughs> so uh, this is my third visit here. So I, it, let me know if anybody's ahead of me and we'll do another one next week. This is... People will will listen to this and say very similar to like a Joe Rogan, Elon Musk. People just can't wait for that next uh, that next time that Joe has Elon on, and folks can't yeah. wait for for this this episode. So well, and I do live in Colorado, so I can break out the smokes just like Elon did. I love it. I love it. We're gonna do a live one. We'll get the smokes when we do a live one. Anytime, brother. <laughs> um. All right, you're in Colorado. Uh, today we've got a very interesting conversation, but let's just kind of start out with, we just got through the holidays. Um, you've got a lot of big things on your plate and you said this has been one of your busiest months. What's been going on in your world? Yeah. Um, and actually I've been, t- I've told a few people last week is probably the busiest week I've had in many years. Uh, it was crazy and just the sheer amount of stuff getting done. So just for all the listeners to, to kind of set the context uh, and we're going to talk a lot about um, my company today, but uh, I'm the founder of a company called Swell. We're trying to reinvent consumer banking, and I'll talk a lot about exactly how we're doing that. But we we incubated Swell inside of uh, a bank, a bank that actually happened to be located in Hawaii, uh, which is, was kind of fun. But but we just spun the company out uh, as of January 1st, and 
it's been, you know, if you've ever been in, uh, you know, in the early stages of a startup, it's, it's crazy. Chris, you've been there. I mean, uh, this morning is actually a great example. Uh, I spent two hours this morning shooting a video for swell. So we had like a full video and, and like lighting and everything at my house here. Uh, and then I was reviewing legal docs for our series a financing. <laughs> and so it's like everything under the sun, like getting HR set up everything. It's just, it's, it's fun, but it's also like, it, it takes a lot of energy. And before we dive into it, give a little bit more context. You went to central Pacific bank, which is on the, um, uh, it's a, it's not on the mainland. It's it's in Hawaii, but talk about what their motivation was originally and why that you you you're not a traditional banking kind of guy. What attracted you to them and that set the tone for you to kind of launch swell out of them? No, there was a method to that. So so the history is you know um, just quick on me. I mean I've spent basically my entire career in financial services, mostly on the startup and fintech side of things. So was an early employee at a, one of the early online money lenders, a company now called Elevate, spent some time in the mortgage industry, and have worked in, you know, across many different facets of consumer financial services. And it all started with an idea. You know, having been around financial services and banking for a long time, I know all the infinite ways it's screwed up. And um, I had an idea for something better. And as we all know, I mean, fintech is a hot category right now, so the timing was good too. But I basically brought this idea um, through a through a mutual connection to the CEO of this bank. And the fact that the bank was in Hawaii really doesn't have a whole lot to do with the story. That's just a fun thing to talk about. And it certainly isn't a bad place to, to go visit. Um, and I, I did spend a lot of time there over the past year. But basically, the CEO of the bank said, love it. I've been thinking about ways to expand beyond you know Hawaii anyway you know it's not a small bank it's a seven billion dollar asset bank a public company called Central Pacific Bank and um, and so we agreed to basically incubate this idea inside of the bank and and the reason we wanted to do that is it, and I'm, I'm going to try not to get into too much into the weeds of you know how fintech works but basically all these you know new banking apps that you see behind all of them is a bank. And the fintech company is the technology provider. They operate the brand, but the holder of deposits and, and the issuer of loans is always a bank, and that's just required by law. But it's super important. If you want to do anything truly disruptive in banking, you have to have a bank partner who is interested in doing interesting, innovative things, and most aren't. You know? And so the method behind the madness of incubating this inside of a bank was let's solve the hard problem of like developing the right strategy, getting the bank on board, getting regulators on board. It's a huge lift to just get all this stuff sort of cleared with regulators. And then let's spin the company out and we're off to the races. So as of now, we look like any other startup now. In fact, we're going to close our Series A financing um, here in a couple of weeks. And so we'll be just like any other venture-backed fintech startup. Uh, the bank is a minority shareholder. Uh, we have a, another strategic partner that's a minority shareholder. We have a private equity fund involved. And so um, from now on, like we're completely independent, but we have a very, very close working relationship with the bank, which, which is really kind of our secret weapon. It's not a glamorous thing to talk about. It's not as cool as like, hey, look at our shiny app. We will have that. But, but beneath the covers, you know, we've got this really strategic partnership with the bank that was forged by me working inside of the bank for a year, building the relationships, doing the hard work. Yep. 
and and one more on that, and then we'll get into the fun stuff. But um, it all these other fintech companies that you said have a bank behind them. Is it usually the fintech company approaching the bank, or a lot of these being started inside of the bank and spinning out? Like, was there anything unique to this situation, or is it usually, yeah. hey, I'm a guy with an idea, I got to go find a bank that'll help me, that'll be my back end partner? Yeah, it's that none none of these were none of the they call them neo banks or challenger banks. None of them were incubated inside of a bank. None of them. I mean, I'm, I'm being a little extreme here, but none of them really have super strategic bank partnerships. Like most neo banks work with banks who are in the business of providing a standardized set of banking services to these challenger banks, and so they have basic deposit capability, not much more actually. And that that's that's the big difference. Um, kind of under the covers between Swell and a lot of these others. I mean, there's also going to be a lot of differences in our feature set, which I can talk about. But, but under the covers, it's just, I mean, there, we are, you know, the only neo bank that Central Pacific Bank works with is Swell, and we have a team at the bank working on this. We have our own team working on this, so it's a super strategic deal. Love it. Okay, you had these ideas. You've had years. Um, you were in fintech before it was even called fintech, and that's not a knock on how old you are. It's how long you've been in the business. Yes. You've had these I, ideas. And also, I'm old. Well, you're not old. It, for anybody listening, and we're going to get to that part of the episode, he will run laps around people 20 years younger than him. Uh, I would almost put my life on it. He's built a life around staying young and staying um, enjoying life despite uh, how we typically look at age. But that's not for right now. We're going to get to that. You have had all these ideas since before fintech was even called fintech. Um, you're coming at this company with a lot of wisdom and a lot of years of um, of just seeing it all. So let's just get into it. What is some of the ideas? What is Swell and, and why do you think now's the time? Yeah. And so this is a great opportunity, Chris, to bring you up to speed because uh, it's really, I think our strategy has really um, um, become a lot sharper over the past few months. And one of the reasons is, and sorry, I'm going to diverge a little bit here is, you know, you and I spend a lot of time on Twitter and um, I've really used Twitter as a sounding board and a testing platform for Swell. So we've got, you know, through my own Twitter account, we've now got about 3000 people on the Swell waitlist. You know, we don't have a product available yet, but um, there's 3000 people that, that have joined our waitlist and we use them as a sounding board and we test ideas all the time. And what's cool is over the year that we've been incubating this thing, the vision has really, it hasn't so much like, I wouldn't say it's evolved, but it's gotten a lot sharper. We know what resonates with people. We know what needs are. And so, you know, the, the, the basic idea behind Swell is this observation that traditional banks do nothing to help their customers get ahead financially. The exception, of course, is they do a lot for wealthy customers, right? So, if you're lucky enough to be wealthy and you have, you know, get private banking services, banks do a lot. They give you access to special deals. They provide very hands-on services, give you access to special products. But for the other 95 plus percent of people, if you think about it, what does your bank do to help you build wealth? I mean, they hold your money, they lend it back to you, not much else. And, and really, isn't that, shouldn't that really be the bank's job? Like help you figure out how to get the most out of your money and how to get ahead and so that was the core idea. And so we're building swell around what I call money moves. So, you know, I've been around financial services, um, as you said, for a long time. 
And I, I know all the things that, that these companies do and that wealthy, smart people do to get ahead. I call them money moves. The idea of Swell is to basically make those money moves available to everyone. So you might say like, well, what is an example of a money move? So it really just comes down to like the simple things that wealthy people do to get ahead and to stay ahead. So, you know, number one, they tend to, um, you know, spend less than they make, right? And that's a basic principle everybody needs to live by. But frankly, banking, banks and banking apps don't do a lot to help you with that. They, they, they don't tend to get themselves in deep debt. They really only use debt as leverage. And we can talk about what that looks like. You know, they use, they use debt as leverage to go buy assets. And then third, they, um, they accumulate assets, right? And, and so, you know, rich people and, you know, s- smart uh, financial brains like to buy assets that generate cash flow or appreciate in value. They don't buy things that depreciate. In fact, it's almost like a sickness. You know, uh, the smartest, wealthiest people I know, like everything they do, they turn it into a money move. And I, I know you, you, you think like this and really, frankly, like uh, most smart, uh, you know, uh, you know, most people who are really educated in finance and spent, you know, a career in finance like you and I, that's how we think about the world. We don't, whenever we make a big purchase, we're thinking about how does that become an asset? And the thing is, all of these things I talk about scale down to, for everybody. It's just that um, people need help doing this. And the financial services industry, historically, the economics haven't made sense. There really hasn't been desire to help regular people make these money moves. So, so that's, that's the basis. And you know, I'll, I'll pause there for a second, but I can talk about how that translates into some of the specific features we're building. Yeah. I mean, when I think about, and again, I don't, I've, I've, I've learned more from you than, than I probably knew before. When I've thought about a lot of these fintech companies, I almost think of is like, um, there's a lot of them that are trying to get people to take on more debt. It's like a creative way to take on more credit card debt or, you know, take on more things that are not educating you on how to get richer. Now there's some good stuff, but um, the way you've thought about it in the money moves um, is really what resonated and got me super interested because you're right. None of these money moves are rocket science. You don't need a an eight-year degree from Harvard to understand how to make simple decisions. And so maybe we can go through like uh, you have some core tenants of the product. Maybe we can go through like each of them and how you're kind of getting this started. I know there's a big vision, but how will this come out of the gates? Yeah. And so, you know, um, where we are right now is we are, you know, and we've been in full scale product development mode for a while. You know, we, we've got somewhere between 10 and 12 full-time employees now at Swell, depending on who's actually started and who hasn't. We've been hiring like crazy. We've got an extended team at the bank and at uh, another partner company. So, you know, all in, there's probably, you know, the equivalent of 20 plus full-time employees working on this already and have been for a while. It's hard, you know, the, the thing that's a little frustrating for me as the founder CEO is things never move as fast as you'd like. I mean, it's, it turns out it's hard to build a banking app, right? I mean, you, you can't screw things up. You're dealing with people's money. So you have, you have to get everything right. You have to get the basics right. And then you start building on top of that. But I'll tell you that um, the, the the features that we're launching with, there's, there's three of them. Uh, we call them cash, credit, and compound. And uh, so, so I'll walk through each of them and kind of tell you what they are and then kind of, it'll be clear, I think, how they kind of map into those, those tenants we talked about. So cash is your basic checking account. So it's a no fee account. It pays a high APY, like 
10 or 20 times what a big bank would pay you on your balances. Um, just it's a nominal interest rate. There's no overdrafts. You know, overdraft is the dirty little secret in, in banking, you know, that's getting a lot of publicity these days. You know, it's like $30 billion are paid in overdraft fees every year. There's no overdraft. I'll talk about how you, how we handle, you know, um, negative uh, cash transactions in a second. But it's just, it's, it's just like, think of it as like our, our cash is our checking account. That's as good as anything you'll find anywhere from any bank. Uh, the next product is credit. So Swell Credit is a line of credit that's integrated into the cash account. So one cool thing right off the bat is um, our cash and credit product, money moves back and forth seamlessly and instantly between the two. And it allows you to do lots of cool things. But the basic idea behind credit is you can transfer in your, your credit card balances and your personal loans. We'll give you a lower rate, but we also look for ways to rearrange your debt to pay it off faster. Because the reality is, as I said, rich people don't have a bunch of credit card debt. Um, you know, they, and, and really, you should only use debt, as I said earlier, to, to buy assets, ideally. Now, lots of Americans have credit card debt, personal loans, and so on. So let's figure out a way to help you optimize those and get those paid off faster. And you made a great point, Chris, which is that um, the, the industry, obviously, I mean, credit providers make money by extending credit, not by helping you pay it off. And so, um, and so you see like the most recent craze is like buy now, pay later, later at every checkout, you can make payments on everything. It's crazy. And it is super, super dangerous. It's just going to drive total credit in the U S up. Uh, in fact, uh, the, I just saw an announcement the other day, like we had a huge surge in the past year in, in consumer credits over back over 4 trillion, $4 trillion. Um, and so we happen to believe that, and we're thinking about the customer holistically. I happen to believe that, you know, doing the right thing for the customer, you're going to have plenty of business. You know, bank, it turns out banks have lots of ways to make money. Uh, banks, you know, even though most big banks are pretty bloated, they still have really great profit margins. So there's lots of ways for us to make money and do right by our customers. And, you know, this sort of ties into this idea that, for me, I mean, you know, at this stage in my career, uh, you know, I mean, I don't have to be doing this. I, a big part of me doing this is just because this is a personal mission of mine. I, I really find it, I mean, I, as you know, I came from pretty humble beginnings and I find it just frankly offensive the way that um, the financial services industry treats middle American customers. Uh, and, and I would define that as, you know, anybody that's not in the top 5% probably. Um, just doesn't have access to a lot of this stuff. And frankly, you know, people just don't understand financial services, nor should they have to. It's it's complex stuff. So anyway, that's that's credit. And then the last piece is, is uh, oh, and, and last thing on credit is, I mentioned that the cash account, our checking account doesn't have an overdraft. So we don't hit you with, you know, 30 or $40 overdraft fees. What happens is if you turn this feature on, um, if you go below zero on your, on your um, checking account balance, it just gets added immediately to your line of credit um, at, a, at, a, at a fair rate. Now, you can turn that on or off depending on if you want to use it or not. But that, that feature alone will save lots of Americans tons of money because the effective APR on an overdraft charge is something like 3,000% depending on how you calculate it. You know, we're going to be offering you know, a, a fair rate on credit. So you can just pay it off when you can. Um, and then the last feature and, and the one that has really gotten all the buzz so far, it's my favorite is compound. And this is, you know, 
this is where something that you know a thing or two about uh, compounding in general. And then the basic idea behind compound is that um, most people in America don't have access to the best private market investments. And I'm specifically talking about things like real estate. I mean, it's no secret that historically real estate has been arguably the best asset class to invest in if you're a long-term compounder. Uh, I'm preaching to the choir here. You know a thing or two about this. Uh, and, uh, and, and as you know, Chris, like you're, all of your investors are accredited, meaning basically that they're millionaires and you have minimum investments. You know, typical GP has a minimum of an investment of $100,000, sometimes more. And, but, but these deals are the, the ones that you want to be in because, um, you know, it, it's been nuts, of course, for the past couple of years, but even historically over decades, these, these asset classes within real estate, whether it be industrial, multifamily, whatever, they've performed incredibly well. It's just that most people don't know this world even exists. And even if they did know it exist, existed, they're not accredited or they don't have the minimum to invest. So what Swell Compound is doing is democratizing. So we're going to get our customers through, through something called a Reg A plus fund. We're going to get our customers into the best private market real estate deals um, out there. We've already identified our first. We're in the process of filing with the SEC to create this fund. And what's, it kind of gives me chills when I think about it, to be honest, because our swell customers will be able to invest alongside the big guys with as little as $1,000. Um, so, so it's, it's a true, truly a game changer and it's understandable. Like it, that's the thing that's gotten all the buzz as we've sort of tested these things. Um, it truly is disruptive and, uh, I cannot wait to get that thing launched. Oh my gosh. I'm getting some chills. There, there's a, some, some notes I wrote down. One's just a conversation. I was, I was either having it with you or somebody the other day, but they, they said, when JP Morgan takes you to a, uh, to like a, a golf tournament or a, a you know a box at some game, you're really taking J.P. Morgan uh, to right. to that game. There there is a lot of money in in banking, and I was just going to see if you could maybe um, riff on that for a second. How do banks, the banks that we think about, the Bank of Americas, the Wells Fargo's, a lot of the folks that are banking this customer that you're going after, how are they making money right now in maybe not some of the most obvious ways? Yeah. Well, I mean, the core revenue source for a bank is the, the, the interest margin that they earn on deposits, right? So, I mean, the beauty of a bank is like, we, we all give them um, our money. The, uh, the, the government basically guarantees that those deposits are safe. And so um, banks have access to money that costs nothing to them. And then they lend it out and they earn a spread on that. And it, guess what? It turns out it's, at scale, that's a really, really profitable business. And then you add to that, you know, all the, the many, many um, fee-based businesses that, that banks do, you know, it's everything from like basic fees on, on accounts, you know, like, you know, there's millions of Americans are paying monthly fees just to have a checking account. There's the $30 billion in overdraft charges that I mentioned. There's um, investment services and it just goes on and on and on insurance. And I mean, all the things that, you know, your bank hits you up for all the time. They, they make money on, on all of those things. And it's a fat margin business. I mean, uh, I will tell you that, you know, bank, especially the big banks aren't particularly lean companies. Like they're, they're pretty bloated. I mean, they have these huge branch networks, tens of thousands of employees, and they still crank out 25% net margins year after year. 
So you don't have to worry about your banker making money. Uh, you should worry about yourself. Like you said, like you're paying for all this stuff. And the good news is fintech is going after that. Like I, you know, I think, you know, it, it's a huge, it's a trillion dollar market just in the U S banking is, and that's in revenue. And, uh, you know, fintech is a rounding error right now, but there's a big sea change happening. Uh, and, and I, I hope to be uh, a big part of it. Yep. Are the, are the big banks in general think like, are they thinking about this? Are they, are they going to be the kind of the ships that's too hard to steer them and change directions? Um, like they have to see this coming or is, is what you said. It's like fintech small right now, but it's compounding so quick that like, it's going to seem like nothing until it's everything. Like I'm kind of asking like 10 years from now, how do you see the climate for just the banking industry in general? Yeah, it's tough, right? Because it's hard to cannibalize your business. Right. And, you know, look, the, the b- banks have uh, a lot of moats, right? So they've got longstanding customer relationships. They've got scale. They've got, you know, lots of, you know, dry powder. They can acquire companies. You know, so it's, like, it's not like, you know, I don't, I'm not crazy enough to say like the Wells Fargo's of the world are going away, but, but they're going to, it's like death through a thousand cuts because what's happening in, in fintech and in, in neobanking is, the neobanks like Swell are going after very specific uh, market segments. And we're, we're building products to serve the unique needs of those market segments. And that's really hard for a big scale bank to compete with because you've got a thousand of these neobanks. You know, like there's a bank out there that's made, that, that's being built around the specific needs of doctors, right? And they'll do specific, they know how to lend specifically in the way that doctors need and they build accounts. I just saw um, Ramp, which is one of the small business banking neobanks, just launched a feature a couple days ago where you can basically just upload your your bills to them, and they'll take the burden of renegotiating to get you better prices on everything. Like, how does Wells Fargo even begin to compete with that at scale? And so, uh, the we have not we have yet to see the real wave of innovation in neobanking and in in um, consumer banking, but it, it's coming. And again, you know, I, I hope to be a part of that. We, we define our target segment as we call them strivers. So it's, it's, it's people It cuts across really all ages, all demographics, but it's people who have this mindset of, you know, I, I'm, I'm not wealthy yet, but I want to get ahead. I'm willing to do the work. I need help. And we're making, like, as you said, it's not rocket science. We're making these money moves, you know, as I say, one click easy. Right. How, how bit, how, like just in America alone, how many folks do you think fall into your kind of addressable market kind of as you see it now? Well, I jokingly refer to it as the other 95% of the market. Like <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, I mean, it's honestly, it's, it's most people. And, you know, that's a little bit of an exaggeration, but like, um, you know, one of the things we looked at, here's a good example. So we looked at, um, because we're launching this credit product and we're going to have a kind of a unique ability there's a lot of nuances to what we're doing at Swell, and I won't get into all of them, but here's just one example. So we, we will have kind of a unique ability to lend um, to non-prime consumers, so people who are near-prime consumers. You know, if you're a prime consumer, you've got no shortage of credit available to you, if you're prime or super prime. Like, it's the fintechs, it's the banks, everybody's willing to lend to you. If you're just outside of that, so you're a credit-worthy person, but you're just outside of that highest um, credit score, you are credit constrained. So we did a we did a data study with with TransUnion, which is one of the big uh, credit bureaus, and 
we found that there were about 30 million adults in the U.S. who are credit constrained, which we defined as having less than $2,000 in credit available to them across all of their different credit products. So, you know, we you can imagine, I'm not going to give away too much, too many secrets here, but you can imagine, you know, we come in with a $5,000 line of credit at a lower rate, and that's pretty compelling to 20 or 30 million consumers. Um, and, and that's an example of one entry point into Swell is if there's a credit need that we can solve for you in a better way, that's a great way to, to get established with a Swell account. Another way is if you're interested, like I mentioned, the compound product, if you're interested in, in getting into some of these exclusive private market deals and you want to start with a small amount of money, um, that's another way into the Swell ecosystem. Yep. I've, I've, I, a buddy of mine that was in microfinance, um, you know, for a long time, he told me like 10 years ago and I've never forgotten about it. And it, it, it relates to what you just said, but he's, he, he asked me, he said, do you know, um, the number one thing that makes countries, um, come out of poverty and, and start to become competitive in the world. And, and at first, you know, I was like, I don't know, running water, electricity, and, th and those are certainly, uh, you, you have to have those, but he said, no, it's affordable credit. He said, when you're in some of these places in other parts of the world where your interest rates are 100% and you can only get very little of it, it's very hard to get ahead. And, and we sit here in America, especially the 5% that you're talking about, that's borrowing, you know, how, almost however much you want it, 2 and 3%. And then, and then I would imagine, you know, even asking myself right now, like, what if one of those loans was at like 10%? On our end, I'd be like, I don't know how you'd make it work. 10% in other parts of the world and for a lot of our country, call it that 90, is a dream. Oh, yeah. It's easy to forget for those of us, you know, kind of in the bubble that um, the average, I think the average APR on a credit card in this country is around 18%. And so, like, like you said, you and I have access to all the credit we want. In fact, you know, we use credit in, uh, in clever ways, like to avoid taxes, right? So we'll We'll take, we'll take a loan out against an asset so we don't have to pay gains on that asset. And the, we take credit out at really low rates. Regular working Americans can use those strategies. Um, they just need the tools and they need it to be one click easy because they don't have um, private bankers or financial advisors to, to help them make those moves. Yep. And I know, I know that you're not a, um, you may or may not know this, but do you know why the average American has a, poor credit score? Is it because of just not having credit? A lot of people are like, I don't have a credit score because I just don't have credit. Or is it usually they missed a bill or two or something? Like what causes the average American in that 95% to have less than stellar credit? Yeah. Well, I think on the, um, it, it's different for, for different segments. You know, if you're talking about like the subprime uh, end of the spectrum, the truly low credit scores, it's typically, yeah, that they, they haven't been uh, regular payers on previous credit. And that'll drop your credit score quickly. And then it's the spectrum, right? It's like, you know, maybe if you've missed one payment three years ago, you're still not going to be probably in the prime range because banks and credit card companies and home lenders, all, everybody, all credit providers have really tightened up their underwriting. And so they're really focused on, you know, prime and super prime. So if, you've, if, if anything has happened that causes you to fall just out of that, it, it, it really is pretty binary. Like it's, it's kind of like you either have all access to all the credit you want at great prices, or you have access to no credit or credit at terrible prices. <laughs> There's not a lot of in between. And, and we're kind of feeling that in some ways, filling that in between gap. 
the democratization of capital, uh, that that's, I think, where you and I first kind of um, started our bromance. Uh, I have seen it coming for a long time, even in, in my little slice of the world, um, even with the folks that can write the $100,000 check. It wasn't too long ago that even the folks that could write a $100,000 check couldn't get into deals. Um, you know, now you see it, you've seen crowdfunding, you've seen these softwares like Juniper Square and, and a lot of things that make it very easy to offer deals to a lot of people, make it very easy to sign documents. And now we're taking it a step further and saying, now the, the, fo- the folks with $1,000 can get into this stuff. So let's spend a little more time on, I know you said you're setting up a, I believe you called it a regulation A or a... Um, Let's just talk a little bit more. How will that product work? And if, you know, this audience is almost all real estate people, or it's a lot of real estate people, what can they expect? How do they get in touch with you? What will that uh, relationship look like? Yeah. So, um, you know, the, the basic structure is, um, you know, this, this, this legislation, I believe, was part of the Patriot Act from like 2015. And some, some people refer to it as, as crowdfunding legislation. And there's a lot of businesses out there that that were built, like a lot of um, like Start Engine and some of these others that help startups raise um, equity. They use these vehicles to to do it. Um, there's been there's been there's companies out there doing stuff in real estate, although it's like it's not really packaged in a way that's easy to understand and easy to to take advantage of. Um, and I think what our special sauce is a little bit at Swell is it's all part of like when you sign up for Swell, it's one account. You get everything and. If you want to put $1,000 into Swell Compound, it's literally going to be a click of a button. So it's, it's dead simple. And to a certain degree, our customer doesn't want to read a 150-page you know, offering memorandum. They just want to know that they're investing alongside the big boys. And so I'll give you an example. So the, the, I can't talk a lot about much of the detail, um, but the, the first deal that we've kind of lined up um, is with a, 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 a multifamily operator who, who you would know in your neck of the woods who has just an incredible track record, they're putting together something new that requires a $500,000 minimum investment. And it's going to be uh, a big, a big deal. And um, that's the deal we have in mind as our first one to to go for, for Swell Compound. And it's perfect in a number of ways. I'm super excited about it, but it's just a great example of something like your average American or even your above average, I mean, your high earner, that they couldn't get into something like this for a whole bunch of reasons. One, they wouldn't know about it or have the connections. Two, they may not be accredited. Three, do they, who has half a million dollars sitting around to just like, you know, throw into one investment? And so, you know, democratizing, that's really exciting. And, you know, um, I'll tell you that for our second one, there's another, there's another firm in Dallas-Fort Worth called Fort Capital. <laughs> yeah. And uh, they, they're doing some really interesting things. I, I'm just looking, if I only had a connection there, uh, I think we could do something together. I think they'd really like this. Let me call, <laughs> let me call around and see if I can find somebody. <laughs> so, so you meet Fort Capital or you meet um, X, Y, and Z company. Swell is going to find, again, why I love this product. Y'all are going to find the tier one GPs. Um, not the Blackstones of the world and the, you know, the, the institutional but the lower middle market guys that have been offering family offices, um, you know, small institutions and super high net worth individuals deals for as long as we can remember. Swell's going to go in, meet those people, do the due diligence on the GP, make sure they're legit and honest and have a track record. Then you're going to make the commitment to the deal. 
And then if I'm on the Swell app and I see that, you know, Fort Capital has a deal or, you know, whatever that might be, and I'm interested, I'm going to click a button. I can make an allocation into that partnership that you've already created and frictionless. I can sign almost immediately. You pull my money out of my account and I'm in a deal. That's exactly right. And, but, and so on the flip side, that's exactly how it works for the consumer. On the flip side to the GP, we look like one huge LP check. So we look like a big, a $20 million check or something. Um, and so, you know, for obvious reasons, that's pretty attractive to some GPs, especially in a world where, you know, GPs are starting to think about, you know, scale is, you know, all these markets are becoming hot. I mean, industrial, multifamily, whatever. I mean, there's lots of ranting on Twitter about <laughs> cap rate compression and everything. And, and so like a lot of GPs are just thinking about, you know, maybe I just move more toward a scale model. And, you know, um, so, so we, we look pretty attractive and, you know, so, so my pitch to GPs is basically like, look, if you're going to make some big plays, some big acquisitions, give us a, you know, we'll commit to a, a pretty healthy chunk of each one. And then you've got uh, a lot, a percentage of your, your capital committed already. Yep. It's legal. The, the legislation's been there. What needed to be added and what's being added, and obviously what Swell's bringing is um, the the technology makes it frictionless and cuts out a lot of the folks that would have been taking, you know, the big thing around the folks that always had $1,000 to invest was to even get that dollar invested. There was fees upon fees upon fees to by the time it was in a deal, you were already 80 cents on the dollar. That doesn't exist anymore. You're kind of getting in the same way somebody with a million dollars would get in. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, you know, I think there's a couple things like there's nothing new under the sun. You know, these things like it's all in how you mix and match and put things together. And we're putting things together in a way that hasn't been done, which is a way that is, is approachable for your average American. Like, cause even if you look at like Fundrise, which, which is an amazing company, they're killing it. Um, it's a pretty wonky product. Like you kind of gotta, you kind of gotta understand what you're doing to participate in it. And Swell is for the person who wants to get in that sort of investment or even better because we are going kind of middle market and, um, and not have to understand all the details. And, you know, one of the things I'm going to do at least early on is like, I'm literally personally investing in every deal we do. Um, so like I'm putting my money where my mouth is as the CEO of Swell. Uh, so, so we're in it together. And I, su- I suspect that all of our employees will be you know, participating in Swell Compound as well. And that touches on something that I hadn't mentioned yet, but, but is actually kind of the core of everything we're doing at Swell, which is Compound is just one example of the power of a bunch of people working together. It's community. You know, so we've already got 3,000 people in our Swell community. There's going to be a whole lot more soon. And think about all the cool things you can do if you work together. And, and this even ties into, you know, the Web3, the DAOs and all this stuff happening where you're seeing people trying to buy the constitution, trying to buy golf courses, trying to like all this crazy stuff. That really is just the power of community working together to make money moves. Is there going to be a social component to swell eventually? Uh, Besides, you know, you talked about the democratization, but will I know who other customers are? Is there any value to that? Yeah, I mean, this idea that, um, you know, banks... Like, let's take a, a big bank that has a million customers. They have individual relationships with every single one of those customers, and they don't actually want them there to be any intermingling. We actually want to foster the idea of customers working together. In fact, the way 
one of the primary w- ways we plan on marketing swell is through our customers, like content. Um, and, and, you know, this, this whole idea of, you, you know, um, well, a lot of what we see and what you and I do on Twitter every day is, and, you know, other platforms as well, is this thing gets more powerful the more people are involved. And, you know, the, um, the, 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 some of the stuff we have on the drawing board, uh, which, you know, um, given what, what we're going to, we're going to announce here in a little bit, um, you'll, you'll have insight into is, is really cool. Like this is really just the beginning. Like we're doing the basics and look for, as the, as the founder CEO, like it can't move fast enough for me. I, I want to get to all the cool stuff just to be really honest. You know, we've got a lot of stuff to build, you know, we're, we're not going to have a product, um, in market until Q2, uh, of, of this year. So we're heads down building right now. And so what we're asking are, are people who, people who sign up for our wait list, we're asking them to take a, take the journey with us. And, and they're, they're part of Swell. Like in many ways, Swell is its community. Like that is the product. And we're building all this stuff around that. If somebody's listening and wants to get on that wait list, how do they do it? How do they just get, you know, in the, in the ecosystem? Yeah, go to swellmoney.com. Um, it's literally just our logo and a button to sign up for our wait list. Or you can go to my Twitter bio. There's a link in there too. Um, but yeah, I encourage everybody to sign up. I mean, if nothing else, you'll you'll get kind of the latest updates and and early access to to Swell um, because we can't we won't be able to roll it out to everybody on the wait list from from day one. Uh, you know, it ought to be a phased rollout. But um, yeah, I I personally invite everybody to kind of, you know come along with us on the journey. Yep. Well, you know, I started out the conversation this way. Um, I've traveled twice to meet folks that I've met um, over the internet. And the first time I ever did that was to meet you. We've had so many chats about this. Um, and I've, I'm just very passionate in general about uh, the bank, just the finance system in general. I think, like you said, there, these are not um, you do not need a, a degree from Harvard to know basic finance skills. And understanding basic finance skills can not only change your life, but it can change your entire family for generations' life. Um, you know, I've been doing in my m- very, very small part on the real estate side of opening up what I would consider institutional quality deals to uh, more and more folks. But when I heard what you were doing and and bringing in even more folks, it was um it was passionate, and so I'm really excited to be a customer. I'm also excited to uh, to possibly work with you. You want to um, talk about what we've been talking about? Yeah. So uh, I guess the, the the big announcement is that Chris uh, has agreed to join the board of directors for Swell, which I am beyond excited about, just because you and I have had many lengthy conversations all over the country. <laughs> Uh, about about these ideas, and I know your passion. And obviously, you know, on the real estate private equity side, you're you're one of the best um, there is. So, um, and I I will tell you, let me just I'm going to brag a little bit just about kind of the board we've got. I mean, I am so excited about the board we've put together. Uh, it's a bunch of killers, and you know, just to give you the, the breakdown, I, I'm not I haven't released the details yet, but there's three uh, public company CEOs. Who are all CEOs of uh, financial services companies? There's the managing director of a fintech private equity fund. Um, there's you, who's the you know the founder of a real estate uh, private equity fund. It's myself, and then uh, a chief strategy officer at a at a fintech company. 
And so, you know, and, and it was, these were very deliberate choices because every single person on our board brings something meaningful that maps directly into one of the things I've talked about today. I mean, obviously in your case, compound, you know, doing, doing these real estate deals, there's no better partner to have help, help me think through this stuff than you. So, so first of all, thank you for, for joining. And I'm, I'm super excited. I am so excited. Um, I, I, I'm a little nervous that the board is, uh, is, is unbelievable, but I do feel like with the experience in real estate, um, and really just the passion for wanting to, I think the way that money is talked about in this country, in certain circles, it can either make your life and then the rest of the world, it can, it can destroy your life. Um, I just think there's a lot of opportunity here and I couldn't be more excited to be a part of it. Like I said, I'm nervous um, for that yeah. first meeting. I'm going to well, walk I am into too, a man. room full of giants. I know. And I, I got to deliver for these giants. Uh, and I will say the other thing is uh, I'm, I'm actually writing a letter that I'm going to send out to you guys to, to schedule the first board meeting. And one of the things I say in the letter is I know every single person on the board personally. And not only are they killers in the business world, but more importantly, they're good human beings. And these are people who actually, like you, care about helping everybody come along and, and be prosperous and take advantage of the best that our financial system has to offer. Yep. Oh, I'm so excited. Um, well, thank you again. Now we're going to get into a fun part of the conversation. We're going to do a little back and forth here on, on some hot topics. You have been building this company remotely to date. I have never been a part of something remote. And I'll start by saying I'm not against remote. I totally agree with it. Um, and for certain industries, it works. But I had a tweet yesterday um, that kind of started with uh, the, the office is really important. And then there was somebody that chimed in that um, I think it was Girdley. And he basically said, you know, when you work remote, uh, I met this guy and he works like he says he works full time, but he only works a few hours a week. And you said that has everything to do with culture and management and leadership. So let's just kind of start out with, you've been remote for a long time. Why do you believe in it? And where do things go wrong remote? And where do they go really right in remote? Yeah, it's a great question. I mean, look, the, the, uh, there's a lot of extreme hot takes on you know, Twitter and elsewhere. Reality, as usual, is somewhere in between. Uh, and, and by the way, full disclosure, I'm probably more of an extremist than, than, than most um, because I have been, I was working remote before remote was was cool or before we all got forced to do it. Uh, but the first thing I want to say is at the end of the day, let's just recognize that our opinions don't matter. Um, really, workers will decide. And one of the cool things I think that's happening through the, or that happened through the pandemic is uh, power started to, to shift toward the workers, especially knowledge workers. You know, if you want to hire the best people, then you need to provide the environment and the culture that they demand. And so um, I, my observation is that younger people, um, there's pros and cons, obviously, to being all gathered in one place versus being distributed or something in between. But I think in general, when you, when you look at the, when you list out the pros and cons, younger people are going to bias pretty heavily toward the remote world. And the example I like to use is my 14-year-old, she's online uh, you know, and, and uh, for me as a parent, an embarrassing number of hours a day. Um, but, but in, in many ways I'm okay with that because guess what? That's the world we live in. And so she, her, my daughter, Allie has, um, closer friends on discord 
in her on her gaming on the gaming servers than she does in real life. And I, actually, I'm okay with that. I try to like think like we should embrace that because that is the way the world's the world's going. Um, and so, you know, I, I think uh, the pandemic obviously created an inflection point on something that was already happening. And I think there is a lot of people who are just you know who are just unwilling to go back to to the office. And you know, the other thing I always say is remember it's early, early days. You know, the you and I are using Zencaster right now to do this podcast. You know, we use Zoom for meetings. We will look back in 10 years and, and laugh at these tools. Like they're so primitive and like the voice cuts out, the 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 video gets blurry occasionally. Like it's a tiny little screen. I'll tell you, I had a glimpse of the future, and you know, I'm probably behind the curve on this actually, but um, Ryan, our, our, um, our CTO at, at Swell, he, um, had this idea like, Hey, let's buy Oculus headsets for all of our employees. That'll be a nice, like welcome aboard w- welcome package thing. And so, um, we're getting every employee at Swell gets an Oculus headset and I got to try one and I hadn't, I had tried one when it first came out and it was like super clunky, had to be com- connected to a PC and it just wasn't great. Dude, the new, I don't know if you've tried one recently. It's insane. Like, when you put that headset on, you feel like you're in a different world. Like th- they had us, we had like a meeting room set up on like the the bridge of the Starship Enterprise and, and it feels like you're there. And so again, it's early days. I think that the technologies, um, there's going to be like, it, it's going to seem, I, I mean, this is a pretty extreme hot take, but it's going to seem in some ways, I think silly a few years from now that we had like centralized offices where we all used to drive an hour to to meet. You just, you just, you just poking. You're just poking. I'm poking the bear. (laughs) No, you know what? I look. I'm always. uh, I would start by saying, I think um, it's smart to always keep an open mind. Yeah. And I'm not going to close the door on this. So my challenge is, and and maybe it's industry specific. A lot of real estate is forward facing. You feel it, see it, touch it, and a lot of people like you're just in real estate. That's why you care about the office. But what I would tell you, and this is where I think you were headed, and I think what this is really teaching us is you can't have a shitty culture anymore. You you can't have a company that has people come to your office and you treat them mediocre. They do have the power. I might just be so jaded, and I don't say this because um, you know, I I I live in the clouds and and I I couldn't keep most of my team home if I tried to keep them home. As soon as the office was available to come back to, I mean, we had people begging us to come back before you could come back. Now, I'm not saying that's because Fort Capital is all the rage, but I have heard that in other situations. And I think what we're starting to deal with is like, you just can't treat people like machines anymore or widgets. You got to treat people like people. So so starting there is huge. and 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 so... And again, we never had, you know, somebody sent me a picture on Twitter the other day and it was this like shitty old room from the eighties cubicles, like stacked, like, you know, just ugly furniture. You could just tell it was just, yeah. If you've been sitting in your home where it's comfortable and you have a couch and, and then you got to think about going back to that. So when I think of the office now, it's kind of in two things is one you better have a place that people it could enjoy the, the physical aspects of that office. It feels good. Two, I'm all about hybrid. 
I do not believe in this world where moms can't leave for a little bit to take the day off to take their kids somewhere or do that. We, we are in that world. Um, but three, and this is where I get real kind of, I'm a little confused and it we'll see is I just couldn't imagine graduating college and spending my first day of work in my bedroom and having to be mentored by people through a camera. Because candidly, I love doing this right now on Zencaster because we're having a lot of fun. I can't stand being on Zoom. I personally get drained. And if I and if I had to like spend time training and like mentoring people, I would think, man, that's tough. And so much of my upbringing early on was it's the things you hear in the hallway and the the over the conversation that you heard that kind of builds this camaraderie. So I've kind of gone on for a while. I'll leave that as how do you think yeah. about training these people and getting people motivated? Yeah. Uh, and by the way, um, just to show you the full extent of my hypocrisy, I'll tell you a funny story. Um, <laughs> so so um, I, I, I've posted a few things on Twitter, like ranting about like remote is the future. One of my enterprising followers did some research. And he's like, hey, dude, I noticed that you have an office for Swell. And I was like, oh, you caught me, dude. <laughs> so yeah, we have an office at Swell. We're in a co-working facility um, here in Boulder. And our CTO, our head of design, and one of our senior engineers work there most days. I go in about once a month. And you absolutely need, I, I think, I call them offices on the edge. So I would never have an office for Swell in like a downtown area of a major metro but like this place we have, you know, that's, it's a co-working facility. It's really cool. It's, you know, I can ride my bike to it. I think that that sort of distributed thing is kind of what I view as, as the future, but you hit on a huge point, which is one thing I observe sometimes is that the guys who are proponents of, of office work, they're maybe not as progressive as you, like in recognizing like, Hey, you got to create a great culture and have a great environment. Uh, I'll tell you a funny story. I, um, when I got married, my wife um, worked, she was a, a like a mid-level marketing manager for a big tech company in Dallas. And um, I, I never once went to her office. She just went to work every day, came home like everybody else. And eventually she, when we started to have kids, she she stopped working. And I went with her, the first time I ever went to her office was when we went to clean out her cubicle. And I walked into this office and it was like in a basement with a sea of cubicles <laughs> yellow light, no natural light. And I felt so awful. I was like, I cannot believe I allowed you to work in this. So, so I guess the reminder there is like, you have to think about the lowest common denominator. And if you're providing a great environment in the office for everybody, then I think that's awesome. If, if it's executives have kick-ass offices and everybody else has a shitty cubicle, that's not so awesome. Uh, and so I think like, and again, the workers are gaining power so, so, you know, I think you, you hit the nail on the head. It's like culture and, and your, the environment you work in is part of the culture. And so if you can't provide an awesome environment, awesome culture, you can't compete. I, I, I'm with you. Um, I'm going I'm to just have go through a series of questions. These are more opinions that, that you can share your opinion. But, but I'll end on your statement with just saying what I want to see happen before I make a I'll be willing to change my mind after a couple things happen. One, I believe that workers don't have as much power right now as they think they do. I think the media has powers over corporate CEOs, and it's a big game of chicken right now of who's coming back first. 
I when I talk to big CEOs off the grid, they're all like, dude, as soon as this thing, we can go back, we are back. Now, they might go back and realize this was all false hope. So that's one. Two, what, what will be interesting, that, 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 that will create FOMO. If Bank of America goes back, Wells Fargo and JP Morgan are not too far, far after. The second, which will be interesting, is if your leaders and managers are in an office, you're at a company that is more office-centric, we'll see who's getting promoted, whose ideas are being heard, things of that nature. That will naturally create FOMO. And what you might find are people that, that literally go to a firm because they're in the office and people that will not touch a firm because it's in an office. But I want to see how FOMO plays out um, because it's hard for me to think that the best ideas will surface through a Zoom call. If I think you could have an eight out of 10 idea and be with the CEO every day and have a better chance of getting it elected than a 10 out of 10 idea and you've never you haven't seen that person in person for a year. I again am an office guy. I've never been remote. Some people listen to this laughing. I just want to see we're social creatures. I think that what's um in the room in the room um it's always been important to be in the room whether that's now a digital room or in, in real life. Yeah. We'll see. Yeah, we'll see and it doesn't these things don't change, you know, overnight and you know, we're going to see how it, how it plays out. The, um, the one thing I'd say is if you're going to work remote, and, and I think you're right, that it will probably bifurcate a little bit. Like there'll be some companies that choose to be office centric and they'll do great. There'll be a lot of companies that choose to be remote first and they'll do great and, and workers will choose. What I would say though, like if you're going to go remote, what I found, because I've been doing it for a long time, like way before the pandemic forced it, is the difference is you have to be a little bit more deliberate. Like so you talk about like the, the um, being in the room and the conversations, the brainstorming, like we'll literally schedule um, blocks of time to do ideation, like to, to do the big thinking. And personally, I prefer it that way because I, I, I like to be deliberate. Like, and, and if we're going to ideate, let's, you know, let's have a coffee, let's get in a room that's comfortable with a whiteboard and let's ideate. Otherwise, let's not waste any time. Like if we're working, if we're putting our heads down to, to, to create stuff, then we can be remote and, you know, Zoom is fine. So I think you should, and again, like it's early days, the processes will evolve, the technologies will evolve and, and we'll see. I think, um, you know, it, it's going to be interesting to watch. And I think um, you're right that we're, it's early in the game. The, the, the employees probably don't have the power that they think they do quite yet, but you can imagine that shifting. And one of the more interesting angles is what you mentioned on Twitter, which I thought was an incredible um, insight around this idea that, well, be careful what you ask for, uh, because guess what? <laughs> Can some, if you're going to be remote, could someone in Philippines or India or whatever do the job just as well as you? Um, and, and, you know, some of that happens already, but really, as you pointed out, knowledge work, most of it has not moved offshore. So, that, that's the globalization aspect. I, I love the conversation. And, and it, I will say I'll, I'll end the remote piece and then we'll talk globalization for just a second by saying a lot of the flack I get is, and these people don't know me, they have no idea about my businesses, you must be some control freak. Well, I would tell you anybody that actually knows me and works with me, Johnny works with me, I'm about as least of a control freak. It's probably my downside is I'm not detailed enough. The, I will, I'll, I'll put it on the record. If running a fully remote company made our business better, our people better, and we were more profitable, 
I will sell every office building I ever had. It has nothing to do with that. Now, moving to knowledge workers going overseas, I, my, I, you know, people like to read your tweets and then, um, they, uh, they interpret your tweets, how they think they're reading them, not what they said. (laughs) My tweet said, um, I think there's going to be an unintended consequences. And there is a lot of jobs, not all of them. There's some that are always going to be here and there's going to be opportunities for new jobs that we've never thought of and blah, blah, blah. But my, my thing was, if your job can truly be done from a bedroom, it can probably be done from a bedroom in the Philippines or India. We don't have to get into a conversation about what folks are paid over there. Uh, Nick Huber uh, laid that out nicely this week. And I'll, and I'll defend Nick. I'll defend Nick from the standpoint of uh, it's easy to compare what people make in America. But when people are making 300% more than they were making before, even if that just means $5 an hour, their lives are being changed, even though, you know, if we compare well, that to Americans. And, and guess what? It's happening. It's, it's happening. happening. Like, <laughs> there's no, like, the, the, the floodgates have opened, and we are going to be operating in a global, uh, with a global workforce at our disposal. And that's, that comes with, like, as remote gets better, that really benefits people outside of America in some ways more than people in America. A hundred percent. And so there's even a more philosophical one that you actually got me thinking when you tweeted that around, like, Governments will have to start becoming more competitive to attract and retain workers, and our government has, in many ways, been doing the opposite. Um, but, but you know, because there's still there's reasons to live in America right now other than just having a job, right? It's, I mean, this is the best place to live in the world. But will that be less true ten years from now? Maybe. I just got done reading a book called The Sovereign Individual, The Coming of the Information, written in '97, that actually makes everything going on in the world today actually seem a lot more normal. It's scary how close. But you're absolutely right. This is going to be global competition. We have six full-time employees in India. They are just as smart. They are just as capable. They work while we sleep, and we sleep while they work. And I will tell you this, and I love my team in America, and they know I love them, and they are they have just as um, they have so many things that are, are tangible to American culture. Those folks over in India have more gratitude for the position that they have. It oozes out of them. The emails that I got at the end of the year for the new year from our India team, it just reeks of, of gratitude and, um, and thankfulness. And that is contagious in and of itself. And it feels good as an employer to know that there's these folks out here that you're bringing them out of a world that they've been trapped in for a long time and giving them opportunities they've never had. And that is yeah. contagious and will spread in and of itself. You're changing families, uh, the, the trajectory of a family. You know, when, when someone overseas gets a job, you know, even at half the salary of, of, of the same role in the U.S., that's, um, that changes the trajectory of their whole family, yep. so- their extended family. All, all I could, it was fun to chat about it with you. Um, I know we can always have this fun banter, but it really is going to be interesting to see how the world reorients itself over the next decade once we, whatever post-COVID even will, will mean, but we can kind of get to a point where where we work is not uh, such a point of um, just total hysteria, which it is right now. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, people like to argue in absolutes, but usually the truth is somewhere in between. <laughs> Okay, I'm kind of going through our little list. We've kind of gone uh, 
we've gone through everything. Is there anything uh, we left off the table that we need to chat about before we end it? No, I think we, this has been, a, as always, uh, a great chat. Um, and uh, look, I, uh, I guess the, the big reveal from this one was, you know, and, and again, I'm, thank you for being willing to serve on the Swell board. I could not be more excited about working together in like an official capacity now. So, so thank you. And thanks for having me on this podcast. It's, uh, I always, I always enjoy these and look forward to them. I am, I could not be more excited. It's the people, the the people is what I'm most excited about the product second. I wouldn't have gotten into this without, um, the team that you've built without you running it. Um, and candidly, selfishly, I'm going to learn so much. This is a world that I have not been accustomed to. And I, I look forward to applying value and, um, yeah, thanks for everything. Likewise. Everyone, it's Chris here again. Thank you so much for joining me on this journey. If you enjoyed the show, please follow the show on Apple, Spotify, or subscribe on YouTube. Thanks again, and I'll see you on the next episode. Chris Powers is the founder and chairman of Fort Capital LP. All opinions from Chris and guests of the Fort podcast are solely their own and do not reflect the opinions of Fort Capital LP. This podcast is for informational purposes only and should not be relied upon for real estate or investment decisions. The Fort with Chris Powers is produced by Straight Up Podcasts.